What is up, guys, and welcome back to the Sweat It Out podcast. Today, we have a very, very special guest, and I'm telling you, I've been excited for this one for quite a while. This guy, and I'm going to put it in, in plain, simple terms. He makes money easy to understand so you can make more of it. Who doesn't want more of that? Come on. He's been seen on CNBC, Fox Business, CNN, and Fox News, and make sure you go check out his Good Money Revolution book today, guys. All right. So we are here to welcome the one and only Derek Kinney. What's up, brother? Well, Anthony, Brian, great to be with you both. I've been looking forward to this. I think it's going to be a really fun conversation today. Oh, man. Oh, I can't I, wait to I, have you on, I, man. I, I, Excited. Yeah, no, it's something me and Brian have been talking about it all week. We're like, all right, Derek's coming on. This is going to be a blast. And, you know, just seeing the way you are on social, the information you provide, your energy, the the, the likability, I was like, we're going to hit it off. So, Derek, floor is yours. I would love to tell you, um, just explain to us a little bit about your background and what even got you to, to become who you are today. Yeah, so growing up, we moved about six times before the sixth grade. And so sixth grade on, I've been here in Arlington, Texas, where I'm broadcasting from right now. And I had a problem, and the problem was I had a really big nose, okay? <laughs> Just to be candid, you can kind of see there in the profile. <laughs> and because of that, I got teased a lot as a kid. And it was really tough to make friends, and I almost felt like I was kind of getting bullied as a kid. And so I remember in my junior high years and into my high school years, my mom gave me a book of all things. It was called Go For It by a woman named Judy Zarefa. It was basically a book about how to survive the teen years, a book a lot of us probably would have wanted back then. And there was a chapter in the book called How to Be Popular. And it talked about how to make friends and how to listen and how to, you know, really grow and be a better version of yourself. And I really embraced that. So I decided to take a really big risk for me at the time. And that was at the end of my junior year, I decided to run for student body president in my high school. Now I was a nobody. I did not come from the gene pool of the popular kids, okay? And so it was sort of me versus the world, but I had this crazy idea. And the idea was I recognized in the school, there were all these pockets of students. There were the athletes and, and the, the rock and roll crowd and the country music crowd. And you know the people all kind of hung out with their own group but nobody really came together. And the idea was, what if I had a poster board and I had a picture taken with myself and each of the leaders of these groups shaking my hand, endorsing me to be president? Well, what happened was we put the poster above where everybody kind of hung out in the school. And on election day of running against five other people, a nobody like me actually won the election. And it was so cool because I was a nobody, but with the heart of a somebody. And the lesson that I realized that has helped me to be successful today was when you can help people feel listened to and important and valued, there's no limit to how much success you can have and how much money you can have because you're adding value to their lives. But I think a bigger lesson for me was it got me out of feeling sorry for myself of having the nose that I do and actually being more compassionate and empathetic toward other people, which helped me build deeper relationships. And later on, many of those students that helped vote for me are now clients of mine as I manage their money. So it all kind of comes full circle, but I would just tell anybody listening right now that may feel like they were held back growing up, you can start over and you can press that reset button that most successful you know, people press almost all the time. 
And let me ask you this. So growing up, how were you able to, so you were able to adapt and, and make friends. When you went to college, how was your experience going through that or going through your, through your career? So college was a whole lot easier because looking back, I had already bet on myself. You know, when I ran for that office and actually the year before I ran, but I came in second place. So I, I had learned sort of what not to do and better prepared me for that opportunity. But in college, I squeezed four years into six. As I joke, I was working almost full time going to class. And the funny thing about that was I took one personal finance class in college. That was it. And then I went on to become a financial advisor. So I graduated with a communication degree. I love to speak and talk and th these kind of things. And what I realized though was nobody cared about you having a communication degree. So it was really hard to find a job after college. So I go to this software company, they bring me on as a marketing person. And this is like a five person software company. So I'm more of a dress up kind of guy. People are bringing their dogs to work. They've got the long ponytails, it's super casual. My boss bounced my paycheck twice. He would let us know on Friday that Saturday was a work day, all this kind of crazy stuff. And I reached this point where I realized I even got passed over for an important raise. And I realized I can either stay in this setting and let someone else tell me how much I'm worth, or I can take the risk and bet on myself and see if I can build a business and really tell myself what I'm worth. And that's what I decided to do while working full time. I got licensed in the evenings and on the weekends and began to build a financial planning practice, which, which grew into one of the largest in the country. But it was all that fork in the road. I remember that moment vividly because so many people I think are faced with that same challenge of, do I wanna keep the security and the safety of this every two week paycheck job but knowing that someone else is going to tell me you get a 2% raise this year or a 4% raise. But if you're in business for yourself, you know, just like if you're working 80 hours for yourself, it's worth it. But 80 hours for somebody else, typically not worth it. It And I really, look, I got to say this. I really, I really love the fact that, you know, first of all, you took the mistakes from learning what you did the first time you won second place then you go on to win first place in um, in the presidential campaigns. And moving from there, you created this level of awareness of realizing what your work environment was like to then launch yourself on your own. And again, you only had, you said, what, one year of, of one, sorry, one class of, or one year right, of studying, one class. which is insane yeah, one class. to go yeah. on to then lead one of the, the biggest or the biggest, you said, um, you know, financial advising uh, businesses in the country. Yeah, one of, one. Yeah, it, it's funny because, what I learned was there's no shortage of financial advisors that people can work with. Just like there's no shortage of realtors and attorneys and CPAs, anybody in consultative selling because you're a commodity. And what I quickly realized was people could work with anybody. What could set me apart would be things I would need to work on inside that would make their way out. And so one of the things that I had a passion for was education. And when I was in high school, I would always think about, wouldn't it be cool if there were some business leaders that could come back to high school and talk to people like me and say, hey, I know you're in high school, but here's a picture of what your future could look like and really help extract some of the potential inside of me. But nobody showed up. Nobody did that. And so I thought, I want to do 
what I wish someone had done for me. So this is going to sound super simple, but I went back to my alma mater, Sam Houston High School here in Arlington, and I began to do a student of the month and a teacher of the month. And I would give the student of the month a $25. It was like a gift card to Chick-fil-A or an Amazon gift card. And I gave the teacher of the month a $50 gift card and gave him a certificate and so forth. And it was voted on by the teachers and so forth. And you would have thought they won the lottery. It was like 75 bucks, not a big deal. But what happened is, is I began to put those pictures in the newspaper. It was myself and the student and the teacher and the principal. I began to get phone calls from people saying, Derek, we want you to be our financial advisor. Well, this really stunned me. So I think about the third time it happened, I finally asked the person straight up. I said, look, if you don't mind me asking, why did you call me out of all the advisors you could have called? Why did you pick Derek Kinney? They said, Derek, we know you do a good job managing money. We've heard from other people, but we like that you are passionate about education because we're also passionate about education. We want to be part of something bigger. And the lesson that it taught me was whether you're in real estate right now in financial services, whatever it is, you have to realize you are a commodity. People can buy or sell a house from anybody, but if you were to say to them, you know what, with every purchase or house I sell, I'm going to make a contribution to a cause that you care about, or you're gonna be part of something that I care about that elevates you automatically above all these other people. So it's a way to help you make more money and you're doing more good at the same time. And it was that epiphany that I had that helped me grow a very, very sizable practice because people know they want you to be a good negotiator, they want you to be good with money, they want you to understand and be really expert but if you're helping make the local community even better, they wanna be part of something bigger. They'll often pay you more because you're providing a luxury and a real expert service. So Derek, how, how do you grab somebody who maybe might not be doing that right now? How do you help them find what makes sense for them in their industry to start finding unique ways to be able to involve themselves in the community, to help the community stand out in their industry. So that way people can say, you know what, this is somebody who really does care. I want to work with them. I like their personality and I want to back them up. How do you, how do you work with somebody? What are the first stages of that? What does that look like? Well, let me first of all say that you need to be the expert in your field. There's no tactic that I can give you or there's no idea that I can give you to make up for really crappy service and a crappy product. Okay, if you've got that as a problem, work on that first. This is when you are a true professional and really can bring the skills to the table to add value to people. And it comes down to two C's, care and competence. People wanna know that you are good. For example, if we're talking to realtors right now, people want to know that you're a good negotiator, that you're going to go to bat for them to save every dollar if they're looking to buy a house and make every dollar if they're looking to sell their house, that you're gonna be the advocate for them that they've always wanted. You're gonna earn that full commission. And so it's important for people to be the expert in what they do. So how you stand out is, what you wanna do is ask yourself, I call this in my book, your generosity purpose. So think back to when you were a kid, or it might even be over the past couple of days. Is there a cause 
that you care deeply about? Is it homelessness or clean drinking water or human trafficking or, you know, cleaning the environment? Whatever that is for you, you'll know when you feel that tug in your in your stomach inside that says, I want to do something to solve that problem. There's a wrong I want to right or an injustice I want to solve. And the beauty of this is so many people think about when they give money, it's like this. When I give money to an organization I love, I give it, therefore I lose the money so they get the money. You see, it's a lose-give scenario. And what I'm proposing is flipping that script and saying, when you can align your generosity purpose, that cause you care about, and share it with your customer base, it will attract more business to you, so you're actually making more money while you're doing more good. Because one thing we know, a couple things here, the millennial audience, for example, they've shown that if they have, let's say three different products to buy from, they'll often pick the one where there's a societal benefit. You think about things like Tom's shoes or Bomba socks or any type of product or service where you're helping make a difference in some cause, they will often pay more to be a part of that. But when I think right now as people emerge from COVID, again, the deck has been reset. And this is such a fresh time. It's the perfect time for any business owner listening right now that may be asking themselves, how can I stand out? How do I stand out in a crowded marketplace and attract people to me? When you can say, look, I know you can buy what we offer from anybody, but we're helping make our community better, and here's how. We're helping make our schools better. We're helping solve this problem. It typically attracts more people to you because they want to be part of something bigger, especially in their local neighborhood. Derek, let me ask you this. When it comes to education, and I know you're, you're big on that, how do you feel the school system across the country could implement financial literacy? And I know there's, they teach a little bit of it, but how do you feel that they can incorporate it now with, you know, online learning? And really there's a lot of people who want to start learning this specific knowledge. What do you recommend or what do you see the future being in this area? Yeah, that's such a great question. And, uh, you know, one of the things I, I touch on this in the book is it's a similar example to when a parent wants to teach their child about money. You know, so many schools simply shy away from money altogether. And I believe it's a combination of a couple of things. One is a lack of confidence in the administrators providing the policy and the teachers that would teach it not feeling confident in their own ability because of how they manage their money. You know, if you've been horrible at managing money, it's really hard to teach somebody else how to be good with money. I think we'd agree with that. Mm -hmm. But what I would suggest the school system do right now, you know, the school system is built to generate people who get a steady paycheck. That's just how the model works right now. And so some schools will have a more business mindset, a more entrepreneurial mindset. But if you boiled it down to one thing, it would be teaching kids not to be just the receivers of money, but the creator of money. Now, let me describe what I mean by that. So much of the school system and even so much parenting these days is, you know, son or daughter, you need to get a steady paycheck for that security and safety and provide for your family and get a house down the road and buy a car and have any type of retirement. It's that steady, secure job. The problem is the path of the steady, secure job means 
a 4% raise every year. It means someone else telling you what you're worth. And we've learned in the pandemic, most people are simply one global event away from losing their job. Entire industries wiped out. And so instead of being the receiver of money, I wanna teach people to be the creator. Now, what does that mean? That means that while you're working full-time right now, you're thinking about what type of a side hustle or a side gig could I start that eventually I could segue into a money revenue generating business or even transition to your full-time business where regardless of whatever happens, what the government does, what the world does, you've got an income stream coming in that you control. And many people ask, well, Derek, how do you start a side hustle? And what I would tell people not to do is, why make it overcomplicated? A woman came to me recently and said, Derek, I want to start this side hustle, but what I want to do is I'm going to get the certification and I'm going to learn how to code and I'm going to write computer software programs for people. Well, this was a person that was doing public relations. And I thought, okay, that's way too many brain cells for you to burn to launch a side business. Instead, I said, ask yourself this one question. In the normal course of your day, what are the problems that you find yourself solving for other people? And she said, well, people ask Derek, how do I better market myself? Or how do I do social media? And how do I grow my business? I said, those are the problems you already know how to solve. And the people who know you like you trust you are asking you to solve them. Therefore, you could charge more for that doing a side hustle for select customers while you work full-time working for someone else. And the light bulb went off above her head and she realized it's so simple. Many people simply take the knowledge they've got because it's so easy for them. And they think who would pay for this? The bottom line is you're so good at it. You're overlooking financial opportunities that are literally right in front of you. It's so true that you said that because I've come across many, even in myself, many times where we want to jump into, yeah, we got this idea, this side hustle, um, and we have a space that we might know a lot about, and then we want to say, okay, we got to open up this whole completely new different thing that requires amounts, amounts of energy and brain cells, like you said, when right. in reality, there could be all these different problems that are keep coming to you from some of your own clients that you already have, or from whatever, if you're working for somebody else, for yourself, and you could just simply start with that and you probably can approach it much better because you probably have a better understanding already how to handle that than possibly that whole new venture or thing that you want to get into. So let's say somebody starts their side hustle, right? They get their side hustle going. Um, you give them that advice. They go after those problems that, that, that are constantly being presented to them daily. They get that wheel moving. What are the next steps to continue that side hustle to then eventually become their full-time and get it automated? Well, so many people shy away from this, but you have to follow consumer trends. There's a couple that came to me a couple years back and they were in this very situation. They said, Derek, we've got this side business, but how do we promote it and let people know what we're doing? And what I said to them was, you've got to leverage where the audience already is. And that's in social media. You know, they had an Instagram account, they had a Facebook account, but they would put a picture out there, you know, once a week about here's an article or these kind of things. The bottom line is you have to provide an engaging environment where people want to jump into your story 
because you're helping solve their pain points. This particular couple had a travel business. What I suggested to them was don't just put out there, here's a description of different vacation spots. Do 60 second videos on how you can easily book a trip or how you can save money uh, traveling, travel tips and become the travel expert that's easy to understand. And that really began to help position them as the easy to work with travel agents. They said, Derek, this is almost too simple. I said, that's the point about this. If you have a business or you work for somebody else and you come home after a hard day's work at five o'clock, most people are tired and they don't typically want to study intensely learning something new. So if you can make it easy for people, most people are so busy, they have limited budgets, but they want to enjoy their time and go see the world. If you can provide them snippets of how to do that and ease that pain and give them an easy doorway to walk in, you will be very successful. So the videos for them were a key to build up that audience because just putting out there, we're a travel agent, here's our rates, you commoditize yourself. And so specifically answering your question, whatever you can do to decommoditize yourself and think of, look, anybody can call any travel agent. Anybody can work with any realtor, any financial advisor, CPA, you name it. We're all a dime a dozen. You want to make sure that you are the person that is connecting with the person and just write down in this case, as a travel agent, here are the top three concerns that my customers would likely have. And then you produce content continually addressing in an easy way how to solve those three problems over and over and over again. And you will have people contacting you because you're the go-to person. Spot on. Yeah. And, and it's, you start vetting out the people you're not meant to work with and you get more of the people you're meant to work with because you're so dialed in and then you become a dominator in that specific niche within a niche. Um, and I think that's another thing that I think a lot of times people will be like, all right, I want to do this. And then, okay, I want to niche myself into this one thing and don't realize you can go even deeper. You can even yeah. go deeper into that and you can actually separate yourself even further in your industry. Can we talk a little bit about that? How do you, how do you get somebody to define that and really dive in deep to really separate themselves? Not just lightly, but you know, in a, in a more, you know, in a bigger fashion. So that way I can serve this specific 5% of people in my, in my industry. Yeah. So let me take myself as an example. So I sold my business as a financial advisor back in January of 2020. And I did that because I wanted to take my message to a bigger marketplace. I wanted to take this good money message really to the world and not just focus on my individual clients. And by doing that, I had to think about how am I now different and how am I the same? You know, my description had always been, how do I take complex financial topics and make them easy to understand? So that stayed the same, but my audience is what changed. And so what I decided to do was, how could I begin to build a social media brand by adding value to people? And this is where I wanna press the pause button for a second. I want everybody to hear me very carefully. So many people get paralyzed by fear when it comes to videoing themselves or putting content out there because, Oh my gosh, it's gotta be perfect. Oh my goodness. What are people going to think? They're really not going to think anything. You're one of probably a thousand messages they see that day. So don't put so much pressure on yourself. Just be you. 
And what I would encourage people to do is ask yourself, what is the biggest pain point? If you're the consumer right now, what would be the pain points that you have in your business or just in your life right now that you would gladly pay someone else to help solve? So for example, if a realtor listing right now is thinking about that, you know, asking some of their friends, hey, if you were gonna buy a house, what would be the three things that would make it so easy to work with someone that you would pick that person? And that's what you wanna start promoting is how you make it easy, less stressed, save time, save money, and you're basically helping make their life better. And so when I began to think about that, it was all about what are the common problems people have right now? Ultimately, when I would ask people, how much money do you wanna make? They would always tell me more. Well, <laughs> of course you wanna make more. The problem though is you can't quantify the word more. And what I would tell people is on a sticky note or on a note card, simply write down, here's the income I want to make this year. Then the question is, where are you now and how long will it take you to get to this new number? Let's say somebody's making $75,000 a year and they wanna make 100,000. Well, now we know $25,000 is the number. So they've got a choice to make. They can either A, and I wanna be a voice of reason, but also candid with your audience and say, just keep complaining about it and do nothing and make no more money. That's option A. Option B would be, don't bang on your boss's door and demand a raise or say, I'm out of here. Instead, you wanna find ways to make more money. But the way is to add value. Money flows where value goes. If you add the value, the money is right there behind it, chasing you down. This happens time and time again. You know, people think that they don't have enough value to add, but it's the knowledge you've got that can really help improve people's lives. And so taking that perspective, I think has really helped me, but can also help people thinking about a job change right now, or really wanting to build their side hustle, always go back to, it's not about you. People's favorite radio station is WIIFM. What's in it for me? If you can answer that question, consistently you can go to your boss and say look i found a way to help us make more money save more money reduce expenses and i want to get a higher percentage of income if we can do those things your boss is far more likely to give you a raise because you're adding value to them oh i, I love that uh derek you're dropping massive value today so now there was a thought that came into my mind so let's say you do take the plunge you start your own uh, business the side business is taking off how does someone approach, because there are business owners who are great at making money, but they don't know how to invest it to create that generational wealth for their family. What right. would be the first steps for them to, I guess, create that foundation for them of, I guess, passive income or that, that steady flow of income for them? So a couple things to look at here would be, I'm a big fan of a residual income model. In other words, I don't like businesses where I have to keep doing the same work over and over again, or I don't get paid. And so one of the things that people can look at is a subscription type model for a side hustle, whether it's a newsletter, whether it's a, some sort of a, a package of goods that they can send out every single month that people sign up for, that they have predictable, consistent income on a regular basis. But let me take a step back here. It's very, very important 
to really look at where a person is right now. You know, if someone listening right now is working for someone and they feel like I've got this business idea and I really want to pursue it, but I don't know what to do. Again, the pressure is on you to say, look, I'm going to take that next step and put the chips on the table, bet on myself and move forward. And a couple ways to do that. Let me share a story with you real quick. There was a woman named Debbie that came to me several years ago and she joined a startup company. She was excited. The energy was great. She was really feeling excited about the decision. But a year and a half into it, she felt disillusioned, overlooked, and underappreciated. And she said, Derek, how can I make more money? And we put together a game plan. Her boss, it was a large engineering firm, but the customers they had, he would bring in the business and service all of those customers. And what Debbie suggested was, if I were to get my license where I could service the bottom 25% of those customers, you could then have more capacity and have more time to bring in more business. Well, upon that recommendation, her boss said, I will give you a $5,000 raise upon getting your certification. I'll reimburse you for that. But what it gave Debbie was, here's a chance that the more business she generated from this client base, she could have more income potential as well. So sometimes it's thinking like an entrepreneur inside of the company you're in right now. And let me give you another, another crazy story. There was another woman, she ran operations for a company. So she was in charge of all the supplies that the company ordered. And she knew where they could save money. So she went to her boss and said, what if we did this? I wanna help our company grow, I wanna make more money, I like working here. What if for every dollar I found a way to save in supply costs and other costs in the company, you gave me 25% of that? I save a dollar, you give me a quarter. Well, at first the boss was skeptical, but then realized, wait a minute, every dollar you save us, we're netting 75 cents. And so that was a way to demonstrate to her boss, look, I'm focused like a business owner, even though here I'm answering the phone, ordering supplies, I have an entrepreneurial mindset and that really added great value to her and she became more valued in other key projects in the company. So the bottom line is wherever you're at right now is your starting point. If you're not happy in your job, you've got a decision to make. Do I stay here? Do I change my money mindset or do I launch the side hustle? But ultimately it's up to you to decide how much money do you want to make and what strategy do you want to choose to get there? What is it? How, how how's that word? Um, what do they call it? Uh, entrepreneurs when uh, you work yeah. for when you work for somebody else, but you have an entrepreneurial spirit or tendencies to, you know, do things and have habits with within that other person's organization that's entrepreneurial. I love that you brought that up because I think it is, it is so important. Where you could just look at it and start within where you're at currently and start becoming an entrepreneur within somebody else's organization and see how you can provide value like that and who knows eventually you by doing that you might realize hey i didn't even know i could be an entrepreneur i might want to go take this somewhere else outside and now you had an awakening so i really love that you brought that up because i think a lot of times people forgo that or foresee that or some people just be ah, i'm not an entrepreneur and when in reality um you don't have to have the title of it because you you're running you're not running your own business but you can start acting like one within your same organization where can people start learning for for anybody who might be working for another organization right now where can people start learning right away or what's your p biggest piece of advice to be able to start implementing entrepreneurial tendencies 
and 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 release maybe a hidden entrepreneurial spit that's inside of them, but they don't know they have it. Well, what I would say is a couple pieces to that. First of all, right now realize that it's a it's a new level playing field with COVID. And some people call it the great resignation, the great reshuffle, whatever it is, employees have the greatest amount of power they've ever had in our economy. And what that means is companies realize that even if you're just doing an average job, if you leave, they recognize the cost of attracting talent, training them, and retaining them. And it's better to keep even an average employee. So I suspect that people who listen to both of your podcasts are far above average. And what that means is that this is the time for them to think differently. Even if you've never thought of yourself as an entrepreneur and you've never felt the courage to take the leap outside of a corporate environment, that's okay. Because right now, more than ever, the smart bosses and those people listening right now that own a business or they're in a position of leadership, you need to be empowering your people to say, look, if you can find ways to grow this business, save costs and increase revenue, we will give you a piece of that in the form of incentives, commissions, higher salaries, because right now I believe we're on the cutting edge where teams are redefining themselves and saying, look, let's have a more of a good money mindset and not just give people raises, but how do we motivate them where they feel like they're owners of a business they might've been employees of for 10 or 20 years. So I believe this is the time where that reset button is pressed over and over again. And for employees listening right now that may feel discouraged, overlooked, underpaid, not wanted, if you will, this is a chance if you're willing to take that one step. You know, one of my favorite movies back many, many years ago, a movie called Shawshank Redemption. And there was a line that says, hope is a good thing, perhaps the best of things. And I just want to instill some hope in people right now saying, look, just take that one step, set up a meeting with your boss in the next 48 hours and find a couple of ways to look. I want to make more money here. I like working here. If we can find ways where I can help you grow the business, reduce costs, help the business do better. Can I get a bigger raise than what I've had in the past? And most bosses will say, yeah, let's work out a plan to do that because they recognize if you're happy and they're making even more money, most likely they want to give you a piece of that as well. Derek, what, what, what would you say for all the bosses out there? What, do, what, do you, what would be those elements to, to have successful um, long-term high retention employees on your team? What would be those go-to core elements that they should be doing every single day with those employees? Well, it's important to lead well, but to think of them as co-owners in the business. You know, people can tell, I mean, you and I, we've probably been in separate conversations where someone is talking to you and you feel like you're talk, being talked down to, you know what I'm saying? Or it's obvious this person doesn't respect me. Now is the time right now to have a lot of individual conversations with your team members. You know, having the group meetings to talk about the vision and the goals and the direction we're going, but an, an immense amount of public praise on how well someone does those three things. You know, Susan, I just want to call you out in our meeting today and say the idea that you came up with to help us increase revenue for the business, 
that is gold. And I want to say thank you for that. You know, Frank, how you came up on this way to save 10% in this part of the company, that's going to do big things for our growth down the road. And so what you're doing is you're calling out publicly the people who achieve the results and you're letting people know, wow, this is a safe place to, to be a little bit of a swashbuckler, to have this entrepreneurial mindset. And a good boss is going to say, you know what, we're going to make mistakes. When you swing for the fences, you're going to strike out a few times, but let's keep the mentality of keep serving the clients. And also I would just tell people this, you know, Southwest Airlines, most, a lot of people's favorite airline, they have a policy that a lot of their employees are empowered that if they're on a flight and they feel the need to give someone something of value, maybe it's an extra drink or a snack, whatever, they have the, they're empowered to do that based on the situation they see. And I would encourage people in their companies, even be it small, to give them some latitude of, hey, here's how we can solve this problem and let your employees begin to figure it out. And it really empowers them and builds confidence in them to really want to play a key part in the growth of the business. What do you think are the key elements for an organization that's looking to hire from within leaders and cultivate that leadership mentality to run the organization when those when that leadership steps down? What are the core things that leadership has to be focused on when it comes to their employees and cultivating them? Well, one of the things that we've learned, especially in COVID, is isolated people don't make the best employees. You know, even though we have a workforce now where many people are working from home, from the office, you've got to create that culture. And I would just use that one word to sum up the answer to your question. How do we create that culture where people feel like they're part of what's going on? You know, that could be even if you were to send, you know, let's say you send a package of seeds to, you know, your 10 people on your team on the Zoom call and everybody opened a package of seeds together and you talk about, hey, look, this is our growth strategy for this quarter. And suddenly now there's participation together, doing something together as a group. But if you can keep it simple, I just believe right now the leaders of tomorrow will find a way to take the big, pithy corporate mission statements that are out there that mean absolutely nothing to most people and basically boil it down to a couple words. You know, the mission is we add overwhelming value to our customers. That's our mission or whatever it may be for your business so that it's tangible, it's easy to repeat, and it's easy to apply based on where people are at right now. Again, so many people want to make this about them. You know, in the real estate days, for example, so many people, it was all about, look, I'm a million dollar agent, $2 million. I sell all these houses. But all that does is say, here's the awards I've gotten. But what if you said to someone, look, I know buying a house can be one of the most stressful transactions you'll ever make in your life. I want to help you de-stress that, make it enjoyable, and I'll walk alongside you every step of the way to make sure you get the best deal and the best house you've always wanted. Now, which of those two paths is going to connect with people better? And so a lot of people think it's just for the president or the vice president or the CEO to have those conversations. No, it's empowering your team and practice those dialogues about how can we add value every single call. And a question I would ask all the time would be at the end of the call, what can we do to provide better service for you? 
What can we do to provide better service for you? And what that does is that lets them know that every single interaction, you're always asking for them to tell you how you can do more service for them. Typically they'll say, you guys are great, or you know what, there is something. So you're always soliciting feedback, which keeps the relationship sticky and people want to keep doing business with you. Mm, powerful, powerful. I always say feedback is king. Um, and I always tell people, I love that. Yeah. Feedback is king. I always say that. And I always say too, that a lot of people might look at somebody giving feedback as failure, which in reality, you have to just look at it as feedback. It is what it is. Replace that failure thinking that it's failure. No, it's feedback that you're getting to then improve yourself with that feedback, people getting that feedback. I see a lot of people take feedback and they might not apply it right away. Um, and then they repeat. What is the best way to take feedback and then put it into media action uh, and then keep moving forward and growing from there? Well, when it comes to feedback, you know, so many people, first of all, take offense to it and they take it as a personal attack. And so I think it's important to think about feedback as really fertilizer. You know, it's the moment where you can put something on you as a seed to help you grow into a more beautiful flower. I mean, the goal of feedback is not to, look, I'm gonna really back you in a corner here and you're doing a terrible job. Some people just delivered really, really poorly, but that's really not for you to blame them for. I've learned even some of the worst bosses I've had in the past, if you listen carefully and more importantly, just watch how they do their work, you can learn so much from them. But one of the ways that I would structure feedback, and I've been doing this myself over many years, and it's really helped me a lot, is I tend to be someone who would make a list of goals I want to work on or things I want to do to get better as a person. But instead, what I realized, a simpler and a more effective way is a stop doing list. Like, for example, I've been married now for almost 28 years, and you know my wife and I will have an argument here or there. And I realized that there are certain things that I would say or do that would typically cause a negative response from my wife. And I realized, so I'm going to do this differently. But instead, I said, you know what, Derek, just work on stop doing that, and that will lead to a better relationship. And it did. What I learned is, okay, Derek, remember, if you do this 10 seconds from now, you will probably have an argument because you're the one that started it. Does that make sense? Totally. And so this can be in all relationships. It's all about thinking, okay, what what are the character flaws I have that are proven that every time you do them always leads to a bad result? And there's nothing extra you can do to change it except stop doing it. And so I would just encourage people to think about a stop doing list and write down just one or two items on that list on a sticky note. Hey, I'm going to stop doing this doesn't happen overnight, but just look at that and you'll continually improve by stopping something and you're actually starting to get better in another part of your life. So big, biggest advice, happy wife, happy life. Not just that's exactly <laughs> right. That's, that's, that's the biggest takeaway yeah. here. And, and you know what? And to add to that, guys, you're spawning happy employees, happy business, you know, happy kids, happy life, all of those pieces. So many people, I mean, I, I'm guilty of this as well because I, I tend to think I can compartmentalize everything that what happens in my business doesn't affect my family. We're all humans and it all spills out into every single area. So 
typically the per you want to be the same person in all aspects of your life. And that way, when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you know, and I, I, I treated people well, I took care of my family and I treated my family like my most valuable clients. You know, many people I talk to, they give their all during the day and they're on life support at night with their family and their family feels it. And I, one thing I learned many years ago was when I come home, I have my family who are my top clients and I have my business who have my top clients as well. Treat them both as top clients and you will have really good relationships across the board. Amen to that, man. Derek, what can I say? And as we start wrapping things up, I want to personally say, man, thank you so much for the amazing value, the knowledge, the backstories the information that people are going to take away from this. Um, and, and I want people to find you. I want people to connect with you and reach out to you. Where can they? Yeah, so you can go to goodmoneyframework.com is the website. The, the best place to touch base with us and really connect is on Instagram. You mentioned this earlier at uh, Derek, D-E-R-R-I-C-K, the letter T is in Tom Kinney, K-I-N-N-E-Y. And I want to provide money advice in a way that's shame-free, but it's a simple success plan. And so that's a great way. Also, uh, the new mm, book, Good Money Revolution. Go. Um, I've got a copy of it here. You can buy this at Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And it's basically just a shame-free success plan for your money, but also how can you make more money and do the good you've always wanted and really get paid what you're worth. And so the feedback we've gotten is great. And we just want to share this with as many people and help people really make the money they deserve because not making the money you deserve is just not right. Amen. Amen to that. Man, Derek, this has been great. But the way we like to end things on on the podcast, we always like to go through a little quick rapid fire burner questions on the spot, answer in question. You ready for it? Let's do it. All right, awesome. All right, what is the biggest thing that you're seeing in today's world that you would say is very, very impactful if you use it correctly? I would say empathy. I think so many people feel like they have to choose sides on every issue and they have to be right on every issue. I think just choosing to say, I don't understand this. Can you help me understand this better from someone who you know doesn't agree with you can be a way to build respect. And you don't have to agree with everybody on everything, but you can listen and you can be friends with the people that you disagree with on certain things. Love that. What is the future that you see the education going to? Well, I think if the education system stays where it is, it's a really sour future. But I think we're going to have independent entities pop up, and this will be an entrepreneurial opportunity for people, whereas an alternative to some schools, they might have actually younger business schools that can focus on preparing people to be entrepreneurs in junior high, high school, and in college, they probably have a full-fledged business. I see that as a real opportunity. And I think as more people grasp that concept, that college is good, but it's not the only path to success, that may be a viable option for parents and kids to consider. I love that. And what would you say are the three top financial advising pieces that you can leave off to people today? doesn't matter if you're a business owner or somebody who works for somebody else. All right, I've got my three fingers here, so I don't forget one. I I would say um, invest where the consumer is going. You know, so many people will knock Bitcoin and Ethereum and the cryptocurrency world, 
But millennials right now, 75% of them have some sort of Bitcoin product in their portfolio. And so it's probably not going to go away. I would encourage people put a little bit of money there on a regular basis, just so you have money where the consumer trends are going. Second, what I would do is just pick out one financial goal that you want to work on this year. Don't pick out five or 10 like your resolutions and in 30 days you're feeling disappointed and really disgusted with your lack of progress. Another sticky note, just write down, I want to save $10,000 for retirement. I want to save $10,000 on my credit card, whatever it is, and then put that on your bathroom mirror. You see it every morning, every night, on your nightstand, in your car. Just stay laser focused and keep it simple. And then third, have some sort of accountability person to ask you questions every quarter. How are you doing toward that financial goal? Whether it's your spouse, your significant other, your financial advisor, a friend, because accountability, looking into the eyes of someone you care about and saying, I didn't make any progress at all, that embarrassment, if nothing else, will cause you to keep taking action. <laughs> Love that. What is the biggest obstacle you've ever faced in your career and how did you overcome it? Well, when I had my financial planning practice, that question brings this painful story back. I had the opportunity to purchase another large practice in Dallas, and I was convinced I could use the same great strategies with clients here as in Dallas. It actually doubled our size. But the moment I signed that deal, all hell broke loose. The advisors I bought it from violated their non-compete agreements. They began to try to get clients back. And literally, my wife and I, we reached such a low point that we talked about, do we file bankruptcy? What do we do? And my wife reminded me, she said, Derek, whenever we have faced hard times in the past, we've always chosen to go into it and not run from it. And that was the lesson I learned in that Dallas acquisition was even though it got really, really dark, I could choose to pick up the phone and I could be the CEO, the chief energy officer with every client I talked to, because if I sounded down and beaten up, they would think, my gosh, the business must not be doing well. But every phone call, I had to just pump myself up and sound excited and ready to go. And we were able to turn that around. It led to two other acquisitions. But if I hadn't reached the depth of that Dallas decision and gone through that, I wouldn't have had the confidence in myself to build and buy those other businesses. So now in hindsight, it was one of the best, hardest, worst things to ever happen to me. It's funny how life works. And I, and I really yeah. appreciate, I really appreciate you sharing that and everything else that you did today, Derek, man, I can't wait to connect with you in person one day. And I'm sure a lot of listeners can't wait to apply some of the stuff that you shared on here with their own lives, their own practices, their own businesses, their relationships. And, and the most important thing, Derek, is, uh, you know, the fact that the communication between other like-minded individuals who are trying to just put out more value and impact in the world. And, and we appreciate you doing that. And, you know, we just want to sell it to all our listeners. Take one single thing you learned from today, put into application, not, not, not tomorrow, not the next day, but today, because today is when it counts. So it can lead to tomorrow and create that compound effect. And if you also got value out of this, we'd appreciate if you like, comment, subscribe, share, Leave a review, drop a rating, because the more love you show, can show us, the more love we can show back. Till next time on the Sweat It Out podcast. The recording has stopped.